Are there some absolutes that we must do as dads? The answer is encapsulated in the climax verse of the Apostle John's introduction to Jesus' ministry. Let's open to John 1.14 with Dave Wurtson for this lesson on absolutes for fathers. It's Father's Day, and I believe that every one of you dads really want to be a good dad. If you're honest with you, I, I've met very few men that says, you know, Dave, I'm really planning on being a horrible example for my kids. I just want to go get drunk, and I want to be immoral, and I want to just go through several divorces because my plan as a man is to really destroy my family. I've really met very few men that really reason like that at all. As we begin this morning, I think you're really on my side with me. I think every one of you dads and potential dads really wants to be a good father and a good grandfather. You're in this with me. You really want to be a good father. You want to be able to have grandkids that raise up and call you blessed. But I want to talk to you initially this morning about some of the tremendous opposition that you're going to face. One, to be honest with you, as we look at the American society, social research has actually proven that for the last hundred years, that in the United States of America, the vast majority of children learn their spiritual and moral values from mom. In fact, I can give you a popular rendition of this. Can you imagine the Marlboro Man? How many remember the Marlboro Man? The Marlboro Man is very much out of date, but the idea of the Marlboro Man, you have this rugged Texas cowboy. In fact, I actually knew the old Marlboro Man. He's dead. He died of lung cancer, but... Can you imagine the Marlboro man taking his kids to Sunday school? Does does that image line up right? You see, it doesn't line up right. Now, that was the old view. In fact, some of you that are my age and a little bit older than me, the basic idea is that the rugged individualist, the rugged man of America that rides his horse and smokes Marlboros, he doesn't get into this God thing in organized religion. In fact, that viewpoint is still very prevalent. Just go out and interview some of your unbelieving friends. Almost all the men will tell you stuff like this. Yes, I want my kids to get to know God, whatever's out there. But I don't want to force it upon them. And organized religion turns me off. In fact, even some of you men that are here today, some of you are here because of your kids, because you you want the best for your kids. But deep in your own soul, you don't really buy this. And probably the reason you don't buy it is because you were turned off as a kid. Like, you might have had some religious leader that is a 12-year-old that you really put stock in. You really believed in him. And then you found out that the guy was immoral or something like that. Or maybe robbed the church kitty. And it turned you off. There's a whole bunch of you men that deep in your heart, you are really hesitant about this spiritual thing. And one of the things I would want to say to you is that you have a really good right to be really kind of back on your haunches about organized religion because religion doesn't have a very good history. And when you get involved in religion, whatever kind of religion is, you're going to find out that there's tremendous hypocrisy. And I can tell you as men, one of the things that every one of you are really committed to, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So that's one of the things that's against you is this idea that it's really not in the old-fashioned way of looking at things. It's not really in to be religious and come to church and do the Sunday school thing if you're really a man's man. That was kind of an old image. That was one of the attacks, and I believe that it probably still influences a whole lot of people. And that's one of the things that's against you when it comes to communicating God and spiritual values to your kids. Even though the vast majority of dads say, I really want to do that. 
Very few dads will say, well, I don't want my kids to have any spiritual heritage. Very few dads will say that. A lot of dads will say, I want them to be able to be open-minded about it. I don't want to force them to do it. And I don't go to church, but I want them to do it. And what that dad doesn't realize is a tremendous influence. In other words, if you as a dad tell your kids that you want them to learn about God, you want them to learn about spiritual things, but you know what? If you never go to church, you know what? You taught them very clearly. And you need to take that to heart. In fact, I'm going to teach you today that you taught them in one of the most powerful ways that you can teach them that for both your sons and daughters, if you don't really get into it yourself in action and presence, then you've taught your kids that's not what real people do, real grown-ups and people that really take responsibilities. They don't get into this spiritual thing. You've taught them that by your absence. The most powerful example that you can give. So that's one of the things that's against us as we talk about parenting today. I want to talk to you about a movement that started in the 60s, though, that's probably even more subtle. In fact, almost all of you are breathing this air, and a lot of you don't even realize. You see, in the 60s, there's a bunch of people that started doing research. The women started rising up. And I want you to know that the early feminist movement goes back you know, to the late 1800s, early 1900s, the women's suffrage movement, women marching up in Chicago in the streets of New York. A lot of those women were women that are right here in this church, not literally you. You weren't here that long ago. But they were believing women like you. And a lot of times they were marching in the streets. They said, we're men in the image of God just as much as our husband is. We should have the right to vote. They also marched for prohibition against alcoholism and that kind of a thing. The early feminist movement was dominated by women that are a lot like you, that had relationships with Jesus Christ and were really concerned about social issues and were really building on a lot of biblical themes. But around the 60s, even before then, but it really came to a highlight in the 60s, around the 60s, that movement was hijacked in a lot of ways. And basically, you started hearing teaching, and this is what almost all of you are breathing, and I'm going to use a fancy word, I'm going to call it androgyny. You read the feminists from the early 60s, they start arguing for something we call androgyny. Now, Michael Jackson was androgynous, so you'll know what an androgynous person is, a male or a female, a blend, something in between. Up until that time, it was just assumed in our society, there is a husband and there is a wife, and they are not the same. In other words, a husband is a husband and he's a male and the mom is a woman and she's a female. That was kind of an obvious thing for hundreds upon hundreds of years. But in the 60s, we decided that wasn't obvious anymore, that we could all be the same. So the basic idea was, number one, there's no difference. In fact, the way that comes off, some of you will be in seminars and they talk about not fathering and mothering, but we talk about parenting. Because it's very, very bigoted to talk about fathering and mothering because there's actually no difference. That's from an androgynous principle that there's really no difference between you as men in this room and you as women in this room. Now, that led to a second thing. The second thing is that what we really need to do is the daddies need to be more like mom. If you read the feminist literature, the basic idea is what's wrong with us guys is that we're not sensitive enough. Now, there's some good in that. Jesus was very sensitive. The scripture's not teaching that real men don't cry and that real men are always controlling, and that's not what we're talking about. In fact, some of the, the thing that produced this is that a lot of women, because of sin in men, are abused. So they start writing and doing research along those lines. We need to get rid of these abusive men. 
But the basic idea became that what fathers really need to do, if you analyze it and you read through the parenting styles that a whole lot of you dads have been exposed to, the basic idea is you're supposed to be more like mom. You're supposed to be the nurturer, and you're supposed to be the one that brings comfort. And Bill Curry is supposed to become a warm, cuddly kind of a person. Just teasing a little bit, Bill. <laughs> By the way, we're working on Bill to get him to be a little bit more cuddly. When we get to heaven, he will be. So. But that was a very dominant idea. Now, I want you to follow this reading. We started out, there's no difference between male and female. What that actually led to in parenting studies and parenting advice was that mom really does it better and daddies need to become more like mom. Now, what do you think the third step was? The third step in the feminist movement, there was like a a university professor from the University of Virginia that argued that what we really need is not men at all in the home. Because there's no difference between the sexes, number one, Daddies need to be more like mommy. Well, the logical progression is, then why don't we just have mommy in the home? And daddies are unnecessary. In fact, I can show you very strong academic articles saying that, in fact, children that are raised in daddyless homes learn to be more sharing. They learn to be more democratic because they don't have this authoritarian disciplinarian around. They learn to be expressive of their gifts. And there's very serious articles that say that the best thing that can happen is for daddy not to be in the home. So that's what you're up against, Dad. In fact, the air that you breathe, the air that you breathe is an atmosphere that involves all the area. There's this old view that if you really want to be a man, you're like the Marlboro man. You don't love God. You don't love Jesus. You're this rugged individualist that doesn't really communicate values to your kids, especially about God. But you kind of want your kids to learn that, but they'll have to learn that with mom. That's kind of an old view. There's this new view where you guys are supposed to disappear from the house. This is kind of frustrating. In fact, to be honest with you, throughout our culture, men are having a hard time finding out what it means to be a man, what it means to be uh, a husband. And by the way, I want you ladies to know that it's hard for you to find a husband. Because deep in your soul, little girl in this room, no matter what they're taught in universities, they grow up, there's a deep hunger. I'd like to find a man that will provide shelter, that will provide strength, that will be a good daddy for my kids. But what happened in our society, when our society said, men, you can disappear, and you can just be a a donor for reproductive fluid. That's all you need to do. Well, that's exactly what guys did. And I want to share with you ladies, you catch the brunt of that. And I want you to think really hard about that. Because what happened in the early 90s is some women, not just men, but some women in sociology and in psychology started doing detailed studies of our society. In other words, we had had 30 years experimenting from the 60s until the 90s. That meant that a whole generation, maybe two generations, had been able to grow up with this kind of thinking that I'm sharing. You know what they found out? As I look at the family literature, I suddenly hear articles written like this. Greatest problem in the family structure of the United States is an absentee dad. One of the greatest causes for poverty in the home is a home without daddy. Terrible, terrible statistics. They did analysis of prisoners. They found out that the dominant population of those that are in prison are from fatherless homes. Our society it goes through these things. We try things out. We experiment. Things that are not according to design go to zero, and it creates a big, big mess. 
And then we look at the results and we suddenly back up. I've been thinking over, you know, like parenting this last week because we're going to talk about Father's Day. And, and there's three basic essentials that have really hit me about effective fathering. In spite of the fact that the Marlboro kind of a man is strongly part of our culture, the androgynous man, the absent man is a strong part of our culture, I want you to come back to an order and a plan that's been there from the very beginning. We see there's a living father in heaven. And I want you to know that the Bible does not reveal that God is the great mother in heaven. Now, he is sexless, and now he's beyond sex, and, and I want you to know that God the Father and God the Spirit are neither man nor female, but God has revealed himself as a daddy, not as a mommy. Now, he is tender, and he'll take his children under their wings, but you don't read in Scripture. Unlike Canaanite literature, the ultimate deities in Canaanite are both male and female, but in Judaism and in biblical Christianity, God is presented as a great Abba, as a great daddy. I also want you to realize in this Father's Day that when the Word became flesh, he was fleshed out, not as Jesaphine, but as Jesus. It's very important. And I I say that not to be mean to any of you ladies, but for your own health. Ladies, if you're going to be healthy in your lives, you must relate to the ultimate man, and his name is Jesus. And he will never let you down, and he will always be there for you, and you will see him as a human man in heaven with nail print in his hand. And you need to fall in love with him, and the more you fall in love with him, the more security and the more balance you'll have in your relationship with the physical man that the Lord might give to you or the Lord has given to you. In fact, I believe that at the heartbeat of one of the most powerful moving passages about Jesus in the Bible... John chapter 1, I believe in the climactic verse, as I thought about it, there are three essentials that every one of us as dads need to drink deeply from if we're going to be effective fathers. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 14, now this is the prologue to the book of John. John's laying out the whole meaning of Jesus' ministry. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a very powerful theological passage, but if you look at verse 14, it reads like this. Now listen. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We observed, we were able to see his glory. The glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I could teach you a lot of theology from that verse, but this morning I don't want to teach you theology. I want to teach you about being a daddy. You see, God is the ultimate daddy. And the ultimate daddy is showing us what it's going to take to raise up kids. And John chapter 1 is one of the ultimate daddy things that the God in heaven did. And what he did is he says, first of all, the word. I want every one of you daddies to know that your culture says there's no such thing as the word. In the first century, if you were Jewish, the logos, the word meant this, that there was a pattern. That God's wisdom, in fact, wisdom can be a word that's used for the Logos, for the word. And men, the basic idea is that the Jewish revelation said that you don't live in a world where there's no order, where there's no plan, where you can't teach children how to live skillfully. The idea of the wisdom of God meant that just like there was laws in creation, there was laws in physics, there was laws in chemistry, 
There's also laws in morality, and there's laws in ethics, and you can teach your children right and wrong. In the 60s, there was a major experiment in our society that says that that's a lie. There's no right and wrong. There's no order. There's no plan. And we are now living the result of that. So one of the things as men I want you to get a hold of is you need to ask yourself deep in your soul, do you believe as a daddy that there is right and there is wrong? That there's a foolish way to live your life and there's a skillful way to live your life. And I want to tell you from the depths of my heart, I am totally committed to the fact that we don't live in an open-ended universe. That you can do whatever you want to with your life and there will be the same results. I believe there's an intrinsic, wise, right way to live. And it's revealed to us from a loving designer God. That's what the Logos means. In Hebrew, it meant the wisdom of God, the divine blueprint for living, not just physically, but spiritually and morally. If you were a Greek, in the first century, it was a dominant belief that there was an order behind the physical world. If you were a Stoic, you would really be into the idea that there's an order that we need to find. Even in the first century, the Greek intellectuals believed there was a structure to things. And the Logos was the word that they used to communicate that structure. And that's why John the Apostle that wrote this book grabbed a hold of this little word Logos. It meant the word. It meant that there is things we can communicate through speech about the way things actually are. And I want you to know, men, you live in a society where the leading intellectuals of our day, not some of the the ultimate, really, on the cutting edge, because there's a movement back towards what I'm teaching you. But if you go to UT, if you even go to A&M, I hate to tell you, if you go to many schools today, you're going to learn the basic thing in the classroom is going to be You need to experiment because there's no order. There's no plan. If you want to be homosexual, you can be homosexual. If you want to be heterosexual, you can be heterosexual. If you want to be either or, that's fine. If you want to raise your kids with two women, that's great. Two men, that's great. Everything is the same. That is a commitment. There is no plan. There is no structure. And I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, that is a lie. And you're only going to get to live this life once. So you need to think hard about this. And I want you to know that as a daddy, early in our marriage... Mary and I, looking forward to having kids, we decided this book reveals instructions in how we should raise our kids. This book presents moral standards that we need to live and die for. We were totally against the free-willing relativism of the 60s. And if, if some of you that, that are, have the idea, I don't want to steer my kids the wrong way, and I need to let them experiment, and I need to let them find their own way. They're going to find their own way right into hell. And they'll probably die early. You say, I don't believe that. My friends in the 60s that live that way are dead. Many of them, unless they came to know Jesus. There are not many old, pot-smoking, LSD-taking, free-willing sexual people from my generation in the 60s. I'm dead serious about this. Living serious about it. When you see your friends dying in the hospital, suddenly all this academic, highfalutin research goes right out the window. And there's some of us in our church family right here that have diseases that we got in university because nobody told us there's order and there's a plan. And some of you found the plan later. As men, one of the most important things, because daddies, you hold the trust in your home for believing there's an order. Now, to be honest with you, I think almost all of you believe that. 
And that's what I want to share something else. It says the word was spoken on Sunday morning, was communicated through CDs, and there was media programs all over the world because God knew that what children needed to do was to really hear the truth from effective teachers. Anybody read that verse? That's the worse and reverse negative version. It says the word became flesh. You see, God the Father, the ultimate daddy in the universe, doesn't just communicate to us even just through this book of instruction. This book reveals to us that God created reality that children need to see it, not just hear it. And that's what the little phrase, and the word, the very wisdom of God, the very instruction of God became flesh. Jesus embodies revelation. Jesus, in his very person, fleshes out truth. Does that make sense? And I want every dad to realize it's your presence in your home that's teaching. And every one of you men, every one of you daddies, by your presence, by your life, that is your teaching. You've all heard me joke about this. I want to share with you, I have never, never in all of my fathering skills, I have never told my kids to take Greek. I have never told my kids to take Hebrew. I have never told them that they should get into higher academics. I promise you. I never told our kids, you got to do what dad does. You need to go to graduate school. You need to do that. What did I do? I sat at a desk and got ready to teach you. And I read Greek New Testaments and I read Hebrew Bibles. My oldest son learned to speak Hebrew fluently. My next son majored in classical Greek in UT. And my third son, Josh, Greek. Why did that happen? Because it's what you are as a dad. Now, that could be a bad influence. And maybe you say, man, that is a bad influence, spending all that time studying Greek. But you understand the point? Your kids catch what you are. And I want you to feel that, because that's why the Word became flesh. Teaching must be fleshed out. This means my kids must see the truth in my life. This cannot incur unless I spend time with them. Notice it says, the Word became flesh, and he tabernacled among them. One of the misnomers of our day, I hear dads say it all the time, it's not the quantity of time, it is the quality of time. Baloney. It is time. Jesus didn't make a quickie visit to planet Earth, spend 10 minutes with the disciples and says, all right, now go and evangelize the world. Jesus became flesh. He became a little baby. He lived in a normal town, Nazareth. He grew up. He spent three and a half years living, sleeping, eating, traveling, walking with his disciples. Why did God do that? Why did Jesus, God's son, do that? Because that's the way you teach. Daddies, you want to raise kids to be wise and to be skillful? It's your presence as you connect with Jesus, as you relate to him, as you allow him, I'm not talking this morning about just teaching orderly principles. I'm not just talking to you about communicating moral values. I am talking to you about you are living a living relationship with Jesus. And you allow Jesus to transform you and your presence in the home becomes the presence of the Holy Spirit of God to your kids. That's what John 1.14 is telling us. The most important thing you can do as a daddy is to flesh out, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, the skillful principles of living that have been present from eternity 
and to flesh them out in your life and your kids see that as you live with them, as you shelter among them. If you're in a divorced home and as a daddy, I know your culture is really against you. If you've gone through a divorce, as a daddy on this Father's Day, don't just feel guilty, don't just feel sad. Do everything you can to invest in your kids. If you can do nothing else, pray for your kids. There's going to come a time when your kids are going to want to dwell with you. If you pray and if you live Christ-likeness, I guarantee you, because deep inside of kids' lives, they, they know real love. They know the person that's really connected with reality. Some of you that have gone through divorces, there's all kinds of myths out there. One of the myths that I didn't mention to you earlier is the, is the myth of resilient kids. Our society said that it might even be better for kids to go through a divorce. And some of you have even used that excuse yourself. In other words, it'll be better for our kids. They'll be stronger. They'll be more independent. That is baloney. All the studies are showing that kids are not just hurt for a little while. They're hurt for a long time. Does that mean you should feel guilty if you go through a divorce, if you're in a divorce situation? No. Confess your sin. The thing that you blew, confess to the Lord. And then let Jesus bring grace. Let him bring forgiveness. But don't believe the lies that say that our commitments don't make a difference. They do. And if a daddy, if you're a single daddy and you're responsible for taking care of your kids, this Father's Day is really important. God wants you to realize you have the responsibility to flesh out this commitment to Jesus. You need to dwell with your kids as much as you can. If you're a judge, if you're a lawyer, in the courts, you need to fight for balances between daddy and mom. You need to hold the kids need both influences. The latest studies are showing categorically, absolutely, kids need both dads and moms to be raised to balance and health. And if you don't believe it, all you need to do is look at the results in families. And they're screaming at it. You can't even afford it. You can't even afford it. The bill for homes without daddies. It's going to break our culture. And Jesus was saying from the very beginning, dads, the ultimate daddy in heaven became a human being, fleshed out his revelation in a man with flesh and blood, and he lived among us. The greatest thing I could do for my kids is to be connected with Jesus and live with my kids and be an example for my kids. The second part of the verse says, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You, some of you say, well, man, I didn't catch this Jesus thing. Man, I went to church. It was boring and everything else. You know what happened? You never saw the glory. You never saw the radiance. Your kids, from the time they're little, being hunger to see glory. That's why they go to rock concerts. Rock concerts give you a false glory. Radiating lights, incredible pleasure, incredible exhilaration, incredible stardom. We're built for that. In essence, we're built for worship. Watch little children. They are built to express themselves. They're built to see something that makes them charmed. In fact, the word for grace in the Bible means unmerited favor. You've all learned that, but the basic meaning of the Greek word grace means to be charmed. It means to be charmed. And what God is telling us, in the Son of God, we should be charmed. Does that make sense? I want you to raise your little kids not with the idea... You need to love Jesus. He's boring. He takes all the fun out of life. He's constantly criticizing you. Anything that's really fun, Jesus doesn't want you to do that. But I want you to love him because that's a good thing to do. You know why people follow Jesus? Don't you like a guy that can touch blind eyes and they can see? How about a guy that can touch deaf ears 
and they can hear. How about a guy that can go to a funeral? You show me a rock star that can go to a funeral and turn it into a party. Because the widow of Nain is weeping her eyes out because her boy is dying. And Jesus sees her crying and his heart is moved with compassion. And Jesus goes over and says, man, son, you've got to wake up here. This precious mom is weeping. And I just want to give her a foretaste of what my kingdom's going to be. Because in my kingdom, people don't die. They live forever. How many of you think that's a superstar? Jesus Christ, superstar. Every one of you girls, you want to meet an ultimate man? Meet Jesus. Every one of you ladies in this room are built from the time you are a little girl to meet this ultimate, marvelous champion that rides into your life. The problem is he's not me for Mary, and he's not Sam for Anne. He is Jesus riding into your life. The second thing that was so important, not only that God fleshed out in his son, the divine instructions, but the second thing that was so important is Jesus enables us to capture a glimpse of the radiating, intoxicating pleasure of seeing God and knowing God. And I want us to live in I want you to have your kids raised in homes where the glory of Jesus, the attractiveness, the charm of Jesus, the power of Jesus is so real. You heard my oldest son, Jonathan, tell you on the screen that what held him on that big quad at UT when he was tempted to walk away from Jesus, it was the reality of Jesus that charmed his life through you and through his family. Jonathan says, I don't have all the intellectual answers. I have a lot of doubts, but I have seen Jesus. And that's my prayer in this Father's Day, that every one of you kids will have a daddy that you'll be able to see the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. It says, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Men, Jesus is not Muhammad. Jesus is God. Jesus is not Buddha. Jesus is God. Jesus is not some Hindu force, multiplicities of God. He can't be linked with any one of them. I want you to be crystal clear in this Father's Day. Daddies, you live in a universe where the ultimate creator that created this universe that was here before any big bang that scientists might come up with, that creator God became flesh, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And you're going to see the glory of God when you believe that. I must help my kids to capture a glimpse of Jesus, the glory of God. They must see more than principles of right moral living. It's not going to work. I talk to more dads that want their kids to read the book of virtues. They want to send them to Christian schools so they can learn the right principles. As good as that is, I'm going to even homeschool. As good as that is, I'm going to send them to public school, but I want to make sure that the public school doesn't screw them up with false teaching. As good as all that is, the bottom line is your kids need to capture a glimpse because of the reality of the glory of Jesus in your life. If kids capture a glimpse of the glory, they'll go to Afghanistan for his glory. They'll go and be counseled. Why is Meredith, this gymnast from the Oklahoma University, why did she get up and testify and challenge the seniors that were graduating to get ready for university? Why is she counseling us? I just met with her mom and dad. Why is she counseling this week? I got news for you. A gymnast has tons on their mind. They have regiments they have to go through. Why is Meredith spending a week counseling kids? Because it's somehow, by incredible gift of grace from her mom and dad and from her church family, Meredith was able to capture a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And I want you parents to know that's the only assurance you have. You can't lock your kids up in a monastery. You can't try to protect them from evil influences. But if your kids have the glory of God around them, if they've captured a glimpse of Jesus, that's going to be the most powerful thing you can bring into their life. The third thing is this. Your teaching must be a balance of grace and truth. I must balance all my teaching and all of my communication of the glory of God with a balance of grace and truth. Grace without truth becomes soft and negligent and wimpy towards evil. Now listen to me. Grace without truth becomes soft, negligent, and wimpy towards evil. That's my temptation as a daddy. I am gracious, but I can be wimpy, I can be soft, and I can be negligent towards evil. So the Holy Spirit's working in my life, and my close friends are holding me accountable, that we must not just be soft and wimpy. Grace is important, but the true grace of Jesus is not softness towards evil. So grace without truth becomes soft, negligent, and wimpy towards evil. Truth without grace becomes hard, controlling, and cruel in its punishment of evil. How are we going to have the balance? Jesus in his person and life is the perfect balance of grace and truth. And that's why the verse closes with, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God fleshed out for us in his person. Didn't just give us a handbook for skillful living. He gave us a person that would come to live in our life fletch it out through the power of his spirit in our life. Second of all, God gave us a glimpse of his, of his incredible charm, of his incredible attractiveness in the person of Jesus. And thirdly, his son completely balances grace and truth. Truth is his steadfastness, his endurance. In the Hebrew standpoint, in the Greek standpoint, truth is what's real. So I come back to what I started out with. Jesus reveals to us what is really there, what's going to be true forever and ever. What I've told you this morning from John 1.14, I guarantee you when you're 75, you're not going to see truthful, objective, concrete research that's done. It says, what David taught me is a bunch of baloney. Daddies should not really be committed to their children. It's better they're out of the home. You're not going to read that. I guarantee you, men, and, I, and my call is to challenge you as men. It's time for us to stand up and be men. The women often are standing up in our culture. Some of the women are standing against great evil. I notice when I'm in schools, when I'm in in city functions, all over the place, there's women that are really standing up. I want to see the men, too. And I also want to see men in the church and in the family stand up and say, man, I'm willing to live and die for fleshing out the truth for my kids. For helping my kids to see the glory of God on the face of Jesus, because that's what I'm seeing. And working really hard together, praying together, thinking together, holding each other accountable so that we can make that become a reality. And thirdly, I want to have this incredible balance that only Jesus can give. As a daddy, I might really be committed to truth, but I need grace. So Lord, on this Father's Day, help me to have more grace. Some of you are like me, you're more grace-oriented But you can let truth go right out the window. So you ask the Lord, Lord, help me to have the incredible balance of those two things. I want to close with this. I want to encourage you. I want you dads to know on this Father's Day. I have messed up in a million different ways, but I want you to know that you can do this. And I don't say this arrogantly because it's all by God's grace, but I think somebody needs to say to you young daddies, listen, it's not impossible. You can have kids that are born in your home and they're raised in your home 
and they come to church and they learn the word of God, they learn the Awana verses, and they go to university and they can rise up and they can call you blessed. And I want to encourage you because that can happen. Joel gave me a Father's Day card and usually these are private, but I want to share this one with you. Because I want every one of you daddies to know, it was totally by grace. I was raised in an evangelicalism or a fundamentalism that could have been rigid. Tons of my friends even left the faith. Tons of my friends decided they weren't, they weren't going to believe that Jesus really was God fleshing out. And somehow, by a gift of grace, the Lord caused me to find a woman that would join me in that commitment. And John 1.14 was the center of our lives. We believed Jesus was God fleshed out for us. We tried to follow his example. We believed that it wasn't just about rules, but it was about the amazing glory of the presence of God in our midst. We believed that there needed to be a balance of grace and truth. We had mentors that taught us that, and we decided that we, before Jonathan was even born and before Joel was even born, this is the way we're going to do it. Well, I want to encourage you, because they can grow up and love you and love Jesus. Joel wrote, Dear Dad, Happy D-Day. I just wanted to write a note to say how much I love you. You are an amazing dad. You have always showered your love on me. You're an awesome example of what a dad should be. You're always there, always supportive, always sacrificing. He's lying a little bit. In every detail, you are so forgiving. It is rich. May the Lord richly bless you as your quiver increases with mighty warriors in the Lord. Brethren and sisters, it's my real life experience on this Father's Day that my sons bless dad. And you can do that. If I can do it, and it's only by grace. I, really, I was really hesitant to do this. And, I, and you know that I share with you my failures and my, my foibles and everything else. But I think somebody needs to stand up and say, listen, we can do this. I want those of you that have prodigals today. Some of you, dad, I'll just speak to you. On this Father's Day, your kids have wandered away. I want you to know that your daddy in heaven on this Father's Day, joins you in weeping for those kids. And he doesn't want you to be burdened with guilt. And he doesn't want you to feel on this day that you've totally blown it. All of us blow it. The ultimate daddy in heaven is not distant from you. He's not rejecting you. He is standing with you at home. And he's waiting for your sons and your daughters to come back home. So everything that I've said today, I don't want you to take it to cause you to feel guilty or to feel that somehow Mary and I did it right and you did it wrong. Life doesn't work like that. I want you to realize that your daddy in heaven is standing with you at the door, waiting for your kids to come home. But that daddy in heaven is still saying, we got to flesh it out through living flesh and blood illustrations. we got to make the word, our instruction, live in real life. The daddy that's putting his arm around saying you can be even more committed than ever. You can still believe that they need to see the glory of God. And we, can, we join you in saying, Lord, help this prodigal to eventually see the charm of Jesus, the radiating attractiveness of Jesus. And dear Lord Jesus, help that prodigal somehow, some way to realize that incredible grace is available through Jesus. And he is the way, the truth, and the life we got to get really serious, man. The terrible tragedies of our day is we don't need Marlboro men. We don't need androgynous men. We need Jesus' men, full of grace, full of truth. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord Jesus, 
that on this Father's Day that we would realize that your spirit doesn't fail and that he will be faithful and that he will produce results. Lord, only your Holy Spirit can cause the truth that I presented today to not fall upon deaf ears and to transform lives as we go into regular life tomorrow. Bless the fathers today. I pray that every one of the dads that join me today would be encouraged, would feel the power of your spirit upon them, and would be motivated to become more the kind of a man that Christ wants them to be. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.